0: Welcome to the TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. In today's episode, I'm talking to Peter Shuke. Welcome, Peter. Hello. First off, can you tell us what your current role is, how you're involved in
1: education? I work at Blackburn College. I work in the University Centre, so in East Lancashire. And I'm a lecturer on education studies, mainly. And I also have a role as digital innovation lead, which is it's a new role, and I helped to write it. And really what it was about is just working with staff and students to do things with technology. Well, not at all buying things or the frameworks or any of the, the very clever detailed stuff at the back, but the, the inspiring and, and productive teachy learning stuff that we do, projects how to create, so that's a part of my role. The, the two overlap, so that's me. I'd originally, I was a literacy tutor before that. I've been in HE for eight years now.
0: And you've just finished your PhD?
1: I've just finished the PhD at Lancaster University with the educational research team there, and that was in technology-enhanced learning. So that was um, an excellent experience, yeah, and that was based around community learning using online Tools, so the community open online courses platform Kooks.
0: Hey, so I, Doctor Peter.
1: I'm Doctor Peter. Oh,
0: <laughs> so in this week's TES, I wrote feature about your work, community open online courses, and when we initially chatted about it, it made me brainer. There were so many new ideas and new ways of thinking about things that it just it just set me off.
1: Can you tell us what Kooks is and how it came about? Basically, it's a, it's a platform on which anybody can teach and anybody can learn and anybody and you can create courses about anything. So there's no mitigation. You don't need to be part of an institution. You don't need to be qualified as a teacher to create a course on there. I had issues with calling them courses because some of them don't look like courses at all and that wasn't really the, the intention either. So it's a platform for people to... To share what they're passionate about what they're interested in
0: and that can be anything there's no and limitations
1: it, yeah absolutely anything I, I, we've we've had quite a lot of people using it from different backgrounds and different perspectives I mean one of the ones I'm most closely related to and interested in is students are using it to make projects of their own and I really've got a real strong interest in education for social justice, and what I want students to do is to get used to the idea that design in isolation is a bad thing. And I think, you know, very often when we see technology, technology has been designed by maybe a group of people, maybe an individual, but generally experts in a particular location. And it's built as a solution to an assumed or a presumed problem. Mm. And what I want the students to do, and people who are using this to do, is to think, Well, I won't make it until I've spoken to the people I intend using it. You know, so if it's for a small community, that they're involved in the discussion, what do we want, what do we want it to be? And in some cases, that's led to the people that were going to use it met to discuss creating a course on the kook. But then they ended up saying, well, we don't really need the kook, we just need to meet more regularly like this together. That's what we want to do. And so... It's not all about the technology. It is the the, the crystallisation of, of of the ethos, really, about sharing learning, about working to create learning between people for purpose. You know, not not necessarily for accreditation and achievement, but for a range of different purposes.
0: So, if anybody can get on the website, which is kooks.co.uk and anybody can create a course does that mean that anybody can teach
1: then we get to a bigger question and i think that um there are roles of teacher and i'm not denigrating the the role of a teacher or lecturer i am one you know and i've trained and had to to get the job that i have now but that's the different thing when we're talking about can anybody teach yeah everybody can teach Everybody has something in them that they can give to somebody else. And very often they can do it in ways that training as a teacher or being part of an educational system means you no longer can do. You can't be to people necessarily in a way that they know you because you're, you're from that community or from that organisation or from that space in time. There's no, there's no root in for a, you know, an, an expert teacher to drop in and tell them what needs to be done there's actually a coming together. And from that coming together of people, each of them individually will teach each other. I'm interested in the concept of the professionalisation. I know it's a big thing, and I know that there's lots of other discourse, political and ideological and career-minded and financial issues at play when we start talking about professionalising teachers. This isn't about that. This is about saying that learning is perhaps... For me, at least, it is. It's innate. It's the purpose of life is to continually learn. And because of that, we can't have just singled-out experts that do that. We all have a part to play. And we can all be teachers as well as all being learners. I think that's what's at the heart of it.
0: So is this a challenge to institutionalised kind of learning? Does it run alongside
1: it? It runs alongside it. It is running alongside it, Sarah. People are using it in formal education to create projects that will be accredited, you know, that will result in grades. So it can work like that. I'm really interested in the the idea of, you know, perhaps universities and institutions have sometimes felt like spaceships that have just dropped into communities, you know, and they do all their things behind shiny walls, Mm. and occasionally an arm will come out and reach into the community. But actually... There should be places that people can engage with and that the university learns from its community as well as the community learning from it. And so Kooks and the concept of Everybody Can Teach, I think it can inform how we operate as professionals. It definitely informs me. When I see some of the community groups and what they've done and how they relate to each other and what they said was important about teaching and what they thought was important about the relationship with each other, that's informed how I look at my job and my my professional role, alters because I see that it's about people with people, that's what education is and it changes things. And because of that, although that's running alongside and there's a porosity between institutions and outside it, it's also a challenge because the more more that institutions have a way of standardising what they do, the more that they distance themselves from communities. And And I think that this offers a challenge, it says it doesn't need to be that way we have to be open to the fact that learning occurs outside the institutions, every bit as much as it does inside them and rather than rejecting that or trying to compartmentalise learning and put it in a particular place with a set of experts then that that alters what learning is so it's a challenge to that i'm not saying it's not about replacing institutions in no way at all it's about asking them to respond to different ways to to have a more democratic relationship with the communities that they're part of
0: if the teaching is a democratic process that anybody who has something to share can share that in whatever way is most appropriate to them is there an issue of quality how do we know that what we're being taught is a factually correct and b taught to us in a way that is going to resonate
1: we know because it works we've been doing some work recently or or actually more but listening with interest to a colleague of mine who's been talking about the white curriculum and and how we create curricula Mm. based you know a lot of dead white middle class men you know and 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 that is a, a historic thing, you know, the challenge to the canon of great literature, great history, great politics, great, you know, great geography. Every subject area be- becomes like a, a, an enlightenment figure of standing on the shoulders of giants, and those giants all seem to come from a very narrow strand of society.
0: So these curricula written by the most dominant voices, not necessarily the most correct ones.
1: Completely, yeah, and then th- that becomes correct because they're so dominant.
0: And then we you have know, to so start asking what correct is. It's a perspective yeah, thing,
1: isn't it? Absolutely right, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's where I go with it, Sarah. And so then, if you have a community that creates a course and they're all working from it and they're learning from it and they're developing each other fully, well, I don't know what, we, what measure of correctness then is necessary other than their own agreement that this is correct. We had a purpose to do this. That purpose is being met we are growing individually or collectively, we're growing too. So ideas of having quality control, metrics, standardisation, categorization, it, it becomes meaningless because actually benefit and purpose are their own measure, which is internal and it, it can't be standardised and it can't be put up onto some spreadsheet that says, right, yes, you've hit all your, key, your core key metrics. Well, we don't look like that inside we are not core key metric things we're human you know we're biological and spiritual and and from us we feel part of a community and from that part of the community we know that it's working equally we know when it's not i think that's where quality lies
0: in terms of quality and in terms of who is qualified to teach he's saying that perhaps people if they've got to the point where they're so enthusiastic about a subject and they're so passionate about it that they want to share that passion, although it might not be the definitive version. It's certainly a version that would get you excited.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is a model. I mean, I'm not promoting kooks as a thing, or like everyone use kooks. I think it's an ethos. It's an idea that's taken some shape that I, I like I like being involved in. But one of the things that professional educator, <laughs> I won't use that word again but rationalism uses is it's got to fit into an already established curriculum. it's got to fit into an already established subject that has its already agreed key thinkers and its already agreed ways of engaging but what if you've got something, beekeeping I, I never got my beekeeper, I really wanted a kooks beekeeper and one of the things about beekeeping is that beekeeping is different wherever you are in the country or in the world there's different types of bees. do they have different behaviors you know there are things that can't be standardized they cannot be professionalized to that level they require interest somebody who lives the life that they're teaching others about or that they're sharing with others not something that you can pick off the shelf read about and deliver you know you have to be part of something and yeah. that i think is, is very different and sometimes these things they can't fit in institutions because it might be a piece of learning that's required on January the 15th 2018 but on February the 15th 2018 it no longer matters do you know for whatever particular thing that is an event that people have to come together to develop things are more fluid life is more random and chaotic than our curricula Gives credit for, you know, and we need people that can fill in the gaps and and go into different places and reach out to different groups and do different things in different ways.
0: As part of your work, you discuss Gonzo pedagogy. Can you give
1: us a bit of a background on this? I've taken it from one of my favourite writers, is Hunter S. Thompson. One of his most famous works, and it was a film as well is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And what I took from that, I was reading about it, it's not necessarily in the book itself, but it was about his approach to it, that they went to Las Vegas, I think he was working for Rolling Stone magazine at the time, and then he went to film a desert race. Once all the cars set off, because it's a desert, it was just dust. So although, I mean, his book, is an account of, of his own experiences in Las Vegas, which is, you know, involved a lot of drink and drugs and surrealism and, and, and actually kind of brilliant to, to read, exciting to read. But actually, that was the only thing to do. So, while other people did try and write about who was winning the race and write what we would perhaps expect the conforming article about sport and engineering and completion and victory and first, second, and third, none of them could see it. All of the could only see dust. So what some people had created from dust was an expected race narrative. Mm. But what what Hunter S. Thompson did is is developed the person. You know, the journalist didn't st- suddenly become this objective, removed eye. You know, the single eye that sees things and reports as if that was possible, as if a neutral position was possible. Instead, you write from the position of you as a human. And I think that perhaps if you take that to education, that's what we look at with standardized curricula. It's as if we're saying it as if there's like a neutral space to write history, to write English, to write maths, to write physics. All of those things are open to interpretation and we do it anyway but all that I think in gonzo pedagogues you said just be open to that you're writing from your position of youness from the world in which you live from the views that you hold from the experiences that you've had from the literature or the the the, the raw materials that you can call on that is what you've created and that's what gonzo pedagogy is, is an acceptance of that, not a rejection of that, not a, a clamour for some clean, cool, neutral space that is just true. I, I think gonzo pedagogy is from that, that there is no single truth. There are millions of truths, and those truths are, are something to be respected. You know, they can be built upon and shared. What did mead head right
0: in with that was thinking, hang on, If what we call or we we think of as the definitive within a curriculum is actually based on somebody's hierarchy of what is most valuable to learn, where did they get that from? Higher up the tree, was that something that their boss said, no, this is the important bit, and then higher up... So then it got me thinking, hang on, who decides ultimately, in the framework of qualifications, in the framework of institutionalised learning... Who decides what the important knowledge is? It does
1: get a little bit frightening when you start thinking... Yeah,
0: because why have they decided that? What are their influences?
1: And who have they left out? And why have they left them out?
0: You know, as you say about history, it's really, really clear when looking at how history has been taught over the last century and, and beyond that. It's really clear what the motivation is, and, and what's been left out, and and as those perspectives change, how that teaching changes just makes me wonder how other subjects could change in that way as perspectives change,
1: and there are radical changes as well. You mm-hmm. know, I, I had um, it was really recently this came to light how this is real, where there was the, the hundred years since the suffragette movement, you know, and and, and the actions. That stemmed from Manchester, but they were obviously nationwide. But I know that we had students in groups who I went to Manchester People's History Museum with a student, and we, and we were looking around and, we, and we we're having the discussion, and saying, "But why?" I, in, in the whole of schooling, I never heard any of this. You know, so all history in school was around Blind macadam and, and tarmacking roads, and you know, and, and, and canal building and railway building and kings and queens but nothing about this social history that was very local and it involved the the rights of half the women but it wasn't it wasn't part of what they'd learned that became clear then because they felt frustration about that but it also gave them a renewed sense of what to do today you know in their lives yeah. and how with people and when we start these discussions so often i think we can see a line of who they are that make the decisions and what they look like and what their accent is, and what color they are, and what gender they are, very often, but at the same time, we also get you to who who's not there we, you know mm. called, you know the marginalization is as fixed as the hierarchy, the people at the top look as you would expect, and the people at the bottom look as we 've been grown to expect, but there's no reason for that you know that that shouldn't be something we just allow to carry on. So things like, things like broadening learning, things like reimagining where learning comes from, where knowledge comes from, they're just essential for a democracy, for a social justice space. You can't have it without it. You know, it can't be what Freire calls a false charity where, you know, you, you might look like you're giving people a hand up but actually what you're doing is making sure that everybody stays where they are and they need to be comfortable with where they are because that's where they belong. We need to reject that and do different things, I think.
0: In terms of this whole idea of everybody's teaching each other, we're all getting this real value of sharing our knowledge, sharing our skills, sharing our understandings. Does that undermine the idea that more money should be put into adult learning?
1: No, I think the opposite. Because if we look at what adult learning is, it's around about recognising the innate need. It's not a desire, it's a need to learn and to continue to learn and to develop. If we have institutions that are forced to get narrower and narrower and narrower in what they see learning as, what happens is, it's not that you're creating better materials in the pursuit of... Pure employability and all courses lead to this one pathway. What happens is you just exclude more and more people. Employability as a concept, I think, is thrown around with such blase and glib frequency. But it actually means nothing in, in in many senses because when we're talking about employability, what if we boil it down? We Starts well, you can't boil it down. It's boiled down to a, to the nub of nothingness. But if we look it in terms of employability, we're talking about people being resourceful and able to function in a society. And that will involve work. And if we just create learning institutions that are so stripped of money that all they can do is offer a reductive view of how we teach and what we teach. It excludes many, many people. It turns people away from formal education. And it allows only a very narrow model of what we mean by learning and what we mean by achievement. If we invest heavily in it, which we should, then... I think we can alter where that money goes in some ways. I think the institutions need to be funded properly. And I think from there, they need to be able to offer a wide breadth of how we teach and learn and what subjects are included. And from that position, things like kooks, I think, are necessary now because they're impossible in institutional space as a as a broadening of what's taught things like that can become part of a a broader ecology but it's not about saying let's do it all for free on the cheap there's some people would love that i get that but it's not about that it's about saying in response to a complete narrowing of institutional education we need alternatives but actually what we really need on top of that is a regeneration of further education in my view That further education becomes a place that responds to societies and individuals' innate desire to grow and develop and to learn and that doesn't just involve doing work-related employability focused courses.
0: It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you thanks so much.
1: Thank you Sarah it's been lovely talking to you.
0: This has been the TESFE podcast with Peter Shukey and me Sarah Simons. We'll be back soon with all the FE news and views. Thanks for listening.